Hi, I'm Matthias. I'm a psychotherapist, and I specialize in working with trauma. Hi, I'm Joey. I'm an author and a poet. This is a podcast where we dive deep into complicated questions. And share our personal experiences. Yeah, and hopefully uh, we'll gain some insight. Or maybe just leave with more questions. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, the thing is, we're two dudes who probably just need some more therapy. I'm making tea. Do you want any? Um... Do you have any limes? Um, no. <laughs> I was just, I don't have any limes. <laughs> I, uh, I got this decaf, um, Yorkshire tea. And it's not like I love decaf tea, but caffeine in my ADD meds just mess me up. And I get like super anxious and like really nervous and a little irritable when I have caffeine and Vyvanse, which is my ADHD med at the same time. So now I drink. Is this tea. the tea? Mm-hmm. Okay, but is this the tea that was approved by I my? Think you posted on your Instagram. Yes, it is actually. Yep, I have a British video editor whose dad lives in a sailboat and makes leather goods out of his sailboat. Right. That's the, I don't know that in my mind that's the most British thing I could think of, and uh, he drinks this tea, and so the sailor leather craftsman's tea of choice is, is my tea a tea of choice hold on i feel like you had to choose that yep so i got the decaf that's not, that's not choice that's that's you have to that's pretty nice i've only been taking add meds for like um a year it's been pretty positive do you take medication i was on 80 adhd meds uh this this was back when i was maybe 17 18 Oh, really? And I was taking Concerta. Ah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I hated it. Yeah, what was your experience of it? Oh my gosh. I felt like a zombie. Hmm. I felt like ju- I was just like not able to feel any emotion. I had no pep in my step. Um, and I, 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 hold on. Are you stirring with a pen? Yeah, but it's okay. There's it, it. There's no way the ink can get in it. At least that's what, I said in my mind, I'm like, just don't dip the ink side in and you should be fine. <laughs> I don't have a spoon. I don't I know. Like... <laughs> I am mixing my thing with a pen. This is my favorite pen. It goes, it goes pop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you one. Oof. We need to stay on track with our ADD so episode. We are, we are going to get completely off track. Oh. What were we talking about? Yeah, as you can tell, I'm not on the medication <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Uh, when I was 16, yeah, I just I just found it, it it changed kind of who I was and yeah. How old are you again? My you emotion. Said, you said already. What? Between the ages of 16 and 18, I can't I can't yeah. really remember. That's about right. Yeah, that, it you? sounds like your dose. When did was you too start? High. When did you start taking it? Um, well, I started. They started on at a really low dose, and then I was like, I don't feel anything. I feel kind of meh. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, Well, you should be like getting back to your normal your normal mood. And I found that I, I just wasn't. Yeah. And then they upped it. And then I was like, no, nah, not yeah. for me. Sad to hear that. Well, not a lot of people know this. I know this because I'm a therapist, I guess. But um, one in three people with ADD do not respond well to meds. They they typically find that it doesn't help. And then, um, especially when you're a kid, even folks that do respond to the medication, like it does, you know, what it's quote unquote supposed to do. Um, you have totally different experiences of it as a kid as you do when you're an adult. I mean, because your brain is still developing, it's still changing. And so most kids, 
um, do not like the experience of ADD meds and and report a very similar kind of feeling that zombie-ish zone out don't feel like myself kind of experience and then many of them who end up trying medication again as adults find that like whoa actually this feels totally different and um i really enjoy it so that's that's pretty interesting so when did you start taking it oh like six months ago yeah eight months ago um well so long story i won't make it too long but Make, make it short yeah, I'll make it short. I'll make it. I'll make it short and <laughs> zesty. I'm I, uh, kidding. Make it as long as you want. <laughs> well, I got it. Okay, so I think we talked about this already, but uh, you and I both had brain injuries back in the day. So I played football in high school, and I got a pretty bad concussion that ended my high school football career. I was a lineman, and I and I got tackled, and it was a it was a mighty tackle, a little too mighty. And so from that point on. Well, it's not like I'd never had suffering before that, but I suffered a lot more after that, just mentally, just had a lot of mental health challenges, a lot of depression, a lot of um, uh, not feeling right. I guess it's hard, you know, because when you always feel terrible, um, it's not like a fish in water. It's not like you don't know what life could be like if you don't feel terrible because you're keenly aware that something's wrong, but it's not obvious what you're supposed to do about it or how to make it better. You're just always aware that something just feels awful and something feels off. And, um, you try to soothe that pain with really whatever's in front of you. Now, now did you feel that way because you had to stop playing? No, I felt that way just because of the brain injury and just how it affected my brain and then had a, essentially a form of depression and distraction that was a direct result of the brain injury. Um, my right. brain, my brain got broke. You know, is that is another. I know it very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So you, I'll, I'll continue in the story, but not to deviate too much. You also had something similar in hockey. Is that right? Yeah, that was that was. You just explained it the exact same way. Mine was just colder. Yeah. <laughs> on skates. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> way it was colder. The exact same. It was exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I've had pretty pervasive depression since then. I mean, it's been up and down. I would say like in my mid early twenties, um, it wasn't, it wasn't life altering to the point where I couldn't go to school and couldn't hold a job and all those good things. So I was fortunate in that way. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think in my mid twenties, it kind of came to a head where I was pretty suicidal and just wanted to get help. And I went to Amon, uh, Daniel Amon, who's a health doctor. Um, he has a large social media following. Some folks might know him. He has a, essentially like kind of a, a thing where he does what's called a SPECT scan and he'll scan your brain and just kind of look at its functioning where the blood flow um, is and let you know if there's something ticking or you know that is or shouldn't be ticking whatever you get what I'm saying if, if something's not yeah. right and so uh, I think we we did like a collaboration this is when I first kind of blew up on TikTok um, went and got a scan that was far too expensive that I could have never afforded otherwise, but I went on his TV show. And so it's an, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's like, oh, we'll do the scan for free, but you got to let millions of people see your brain and whatever's in there. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh, well, okay, sure. Let's, let's find out. And what we found out was sure enough, there was damage to, um, the sides of my brain. I won't go into a bunch of neuroscience speak, but essentially, um, the part of my brain that does things like emotional regulation, um, a bit of memory recall, uh, you know, it's on the outside of the brain, kind of the section right behind the top of your ears. It's, um, yeah, it was damaged. It was both sides were dark and that's not good. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's like that's where I when I when I got concussions, that's where I would feel my headaches. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know the significance mm-hmm. of where the headaches are and then what that means about the brain region, but yeah, it's pretty com that's a pretty common area to get damaged by traumatic brain injury. And so for me that culminated in emotional dysregulation issues, meaning like I had a hard time controlling my emotions and um, some memory and concentration issues, which were evidenced, you know, pretty strongly. I, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I am a smart guy. Um, I, I'm intelligent, but I really struggled in school. I got like D's in high school. And then unless I was like hyper, whoa, Mm -hmm. what classes are we talking? I mean, nearly all of them. And and that's not just because like, oh, I'm so smart. I was just bored. You know, it's not one of those like irritating genius stories. I'm not, um, I was really trying. I was like really trying to focus on like geometry and, um, you know, all these French, you know, (laughs) these, these subjects that I needed to get better grades in. But, uh, just for whatever reason, I just couldn't. And did you find you had like a, you just didn't care that much? Mm, Well, sure. I guess as as much as anybody, but I guess what I'm saying is one of the frustrations I experienced was even when I really wanted to focus, um, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head to do what I wanted it to do. And I feel like we're the same person. Hey, well, I mean, that's a common experience and I think a lot of people have traumatic brain injuries if they really kind of look back in their history. It doesn't have to be something really dramatic. That's something we just figured out in the past 10, 15 years was like, it doesn't have to be a big car accident where you flew out a window. It could be falling down the stairs as a kid. It could be, um, you know, a, like literally just falling over and someone knocking into you and then you hit your head on the ground. Like, mm-hmm. and that's, that can change the course of your mental health pretty drastically so here's what i did again making a long story short went to the skin he, he told me oh okay these parts of your brain um left and right side they're not looking too good so he gave me a few different suggestions he's like go uh, do hyperbaric um go get in a hyperbaric chamber that's essentially where they drop the pressure inside of this chamber to probably the equivalent of being like 12 feet underwater um so the significance of that is that you can absorb more oxygen into your uh, brain. So the oxygen molecules actually condense and get smaller and then can penetrate deeper areas of the brain and it brings a greater amount of healing. So that's how the theory goes. So a lot of folks with traumatic brain injury go do hyperbaric um, chamber treatment. And I did 40 sessions of that and I and I felt like that helped like maybe three to five to seven percent. That was, hey, which is, you know, which is better than anything else before. And then um, what else did I do? I, I changed my eating. I lost like 50 pounds. Um, and, uh, just, just a bunch of different health things. And then, you know, another thing I went back, this is like, uh, this is about eight months ago. I called Mm -hmm. Daniel Amen again, actually. And I was like, I'm not feeling better. Um, I still feel awful. Like I I have these like four day spouts, probably every month where I get super, super deep, dark mental unhealth and I'm not suicidal anymore, but that's because of just like a lot of therapy and a lot of just kind of maybe mental resilience, just, just, um, that I had to really work out. But that's not to say that I don't feel the same darkness and deep mental suffering. So it's probably, it's the same intensity of the depression as I had in my earlier twenties, but I handle it and I hold it differently, if that makes sense. So, um, it doesn't, I don't spiral down as, as far as I used to, but it's still as intense. And I'm like, man, I don't really know what to do. And then Eamon was really 
he, he went back to my scans and he's like, well, Matthias, there was like a mold issue too that we were trying to figure out. Like your brain looks toxic. It looks like you're a drug addict, essentially. Like, like mold? these parts. Right, right. He's like, and that's what we were thinking. Like there's this aspect to your brain where you, you look like either you're a cocaine addict or you are a mold, you have been exposed to mold or you like, there's some sort of toxin. There's something weird. Hold on here. Yeah, go ahead. Why wouldn't he tell you this? Oh, he did. He did. I'm sorry. I, okay. I'm not telling the story very well. This is all my, my, uh, I don't know, spacey. He didn't way just of tell you this story. when you called back and, and were like, Hey, I'm not feeling good. He's like, well, <laughs> were you a cocaine addict? Because we saw this dot <laughs> that is awful to have. No one, not many people have it. Only you. I didn't tell you before. Here's what we found out. It wasn't out. like that. Here's <laughs> what we found out. I'll explain that part of the story in a sec. Um, is we go and we do a full battery of tests in, in my blood because we're trying to figure out what's going on. And then we find out that I have Lyme disease. And it's a form of Lyme called Babesia. It's, it's kind of a lesser known form. It, it comes from a tick. And it can be essentially manifest with high cognitive fatigue, um, emotional dysregulation, uh, you know, all, all, all sorts of like mental and cognitive stuff but mostly like inflammation and i don't know just a whole host of stuff i'm in one of those lime workups right now so i'm in like one of those like big four day spurts of feeling dark and feeling bad i'm, I'm like i'm in the middle of one of those currently but hey we're, we're moving along and in those modes i get highly distractible i have a hard time putting my words together and i film podcasts for a living so i can't can't slow all the way down gotta keep moving so that's just part of the I feel like you're doing situation. all right. I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. Like it's you're nice knowing that it's right. something like, I think what was yeah. the hardest part about it was just not knowing what in the world's going on. And then you just feel like, Oh, it's just something wrong with me. Am I just being a wimp? Like, am I just not, am I just uh weak? And then to find out like, Oh no, it, it's not just that you had a traumatic brain injury. It's that also this random bug gave you a bug and mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just part yeah, of as, as scary as it is to find out, it's almost relieving that you finally know. Yeah, yeah, well put. Yeah, um, the ADD was part of that too, I guess. That I didn't include that. The part of that section of the brain that got bumped and damaged um, with concentration can present symptoms like ADHD. So it's not something necessarily that I had in my genetics. It's not something like my dad has or anything. It was um, something that came about later on after a brain injury. So that's. That's the full story. I feel like I didn't do a very good job making a clear presentation. You did a great job. That, you did an amazing that's job. That's what's up. My question. Go, go. The ADHD, are you saying that it came from the brain injury or the tick? Um, the brain injury and then the tick, um, it looks like, is behind at least some of the depression and the cognitive fatigue. So, okay. yeah, it's if I had to like describe kind of the, the low point, it's like I'm depressed I'm irritable and I'm really fatigued. Like I can handle very, very little stress and I'm really distracted and I have a hard time concentrating. So that's, that's like the trifecta of unpleasantness. But, um, I don't know. I was thinking about how to put a silver lining on that, but that's, can he, that's just well, the reality of it. <laughs> can you tell how long that that's been there? Uh, that the tick, like you have no idea when. No, that that's the weird part too. I don't remember the tick bite. I don't, I don't know. I grew up in Virginia for a while and, um, I, we had ticks out there all the time. Like mm -hmm. just, we had these, this big open thing of woods behind our house and we'd go play out there. Could have been out there. Um, 
I've always been a kid that like plays in the backyard and runs around in the forest and looks for a big patch of trees and just wants to go climb. Like, you know, so that's always been me. So it's, it's actually not clear when I had it, um, or when I got it. So, yeah. You, uh, had any experience with ticks? Yeah. I mean, now I'm very exposed to them. (laughs) Yeah. Weird as that sounds, but I remember I was on, I was on tour and I did a show in Florida and my friends and I, we saw dumb, dumb. It was stupid. We saw this lake. We were like, Hey, let's go and see if we can see a gator. And so we go around this lake in Florida and we're just like walking. We saw nothing. It was harmless, but it could have been bad. And then we come back inside from just like walking within like the tall grass and kind of woodsy area. And then my friends go, Oh, make sure like you take a shower and like Mm. check your entire body. And I'm like, for, for what? (laughs) I didn't, they're like ticks. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? They're like, yeah, check your waistband. Cause like for men, that's where they most commonly are. Yeah. And then lo and behold, I check my waistband and there's a tick on me. Oh my goodness. And I like, I, I had no idea, you know, kind of what it was. Cause I feel like in Canada, just because the temperature drops so much, um, we don't really have too, too many of them. We still have a lot of them. Mm. Um, and there was this also this, this like law that just got passed or got denied farmers used to be able to burn like their brush and like all their like scraps of hay and whatnot. And all of that smoke would kill the ticks. But in the past few years, they've been denied the ability to do that. Wow. So now there's way, way, way more ticks. So kind Mm -hmm. of like every time I bring my dog into the woods, uh, I find a tick and I just pick it off and smush it. That's good. That's what you need to do. You need to smush it. So that you don't yeah, get a bunch of weird them, diseases. Don't flush them. Why? Yeah, don't flush them. They, they don't die, man. They climb back up. It's like flushed away. They, they climb back away. up, and then they grab yeah, onto they your climb back up. butt, and mm-hmm. then you get yep. diseases. Just like the snakes in Australia. I don't want to know about it. I what snakes? <laughs> There's snakes in Australia the that climb up your come butt, up the pipes, what through the toilet. Oh no. Oh man. That's it. I didn't know I had to be afraid of that. I if 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 we had a deal to go to Australia, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go. I go to New Zealand. New Zealand doesn't have snakes, apparently. They don't. No. I'll go to Australia. I probably just over. um, I probably just hold it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Let's back up for a second. So yeah, what? What? Uh, how did getting concussions in hockey affect your life? That's that's a little bit of my story. But do you have anything that you would attribute to brain injury or any noticeable effects of that? Yeah, I mean, well, the the side that like people are seeing today, the side like the people that know me now, the reason that they know me is because I had a brain injury, and I feel like we talked about this in like health our health and fitness episode, but I'm kind of forgetting. But that's all right. Maybe we're retracing. Over long story short, that's all right. Yeah, long story short, um, had a had a few concussions in hockey. One was really, really severe. There's no severe or there's no minor or major concussion for people that don't know. Uh, a brain injury will always be major. It's always severe. Mm-hmm. So there's no little bump to the head. There's no big bump to the head. It's a bump to the head, and you should probably get it checked out. And so when I got when I got hit, I went to see a doctor and there was not as much research done back then. Mm -hmm. And so I was just told to be in a dark room as much as possible. 
So I missed 122 days of school in this dark room. Um, wow. Was not was not 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 very fun. But that's when I found YouTube and I kind of just started watching it more. Like I didn't really knew know what it was. And then long and then longer down the line, when I was 18, I broke my leg, and then that put me out uh, <laughs> again. And it was also in hockey. So there's a lot of lot of injury there. And then that's when I started. Uh, posting videos. I started filming my first video when I had a broken leg. Hmm. And then that's why people know me today is because of these brain injuries. But one thing I kind of want you to, to tap on here. I didn't really know mental health before my injury. Hmm. I had no idea. I was a, I was a hockey kid. I was the kid. I, I, I was like kind of the locker room boy where, you know, it's you're tough. Keep going. There was no talk of, I didn't know what depression was. Hmm. I heard of anxiety, but I also heard of anxiety just being like nervous. Yeah. So I didn't get educated until I got injured. Yeah. Did you know about it? Hmm. That's a good question. No, I mean, I, I kind of learned about mental health. Um, getting my master's in counseling. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I didn't, I don't know. Like that to be, to be totally honest. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know much about how like a brain injury could affect your mood or your emotions. And, um, I was really quick just to kind of attribute that to just me needing to try harder and to get my act together. And so, yeah. And that wasn't helping. I, I wasn't doing a good job of that. It wasn't really until I kind of became a therapist and, or at least it was in school for therapy. I mean, that I learned how stuff like that can actually affect you. Yeah. it It's deep, man. It can really affect you. And like, it's easy to feel, uh, it's, it's, how do I put it? When you're, when you're in one of these moments where you just feel really depressed or you feel really overwhelmed, really anxious, it's, um, it's not obvious how much of you really is a machine or how much of you really is just a body. And we have this impression that if I really just focus my will and if I really just try hard and if I really just decide, you know, to stop complaining and stop, you know, this, that, and the other thing, if I just really, you know, stop whining, then everything should be able to change. And the reality is it sometimes is like that. Sometimes we do experience suffering and we're going through a hard time and then we have an attitude adjustment. We have a change in perspective and that really does move the needle. And then we're able to kind of pick ourselves up and keep going and then push and things get better. And then there's other times when it's not just an attitude shift that needs to change is you actually need to go get help and you need to heal. And I think that's just as true of trauma as it is a traumatic brain injury that sometimes you do need therapy. Sometimes you do need to go sit in a hyperbaric chamber. Sometimes you need to change what you're eating um, because that brain in your own skull, it's, it's an organ and it, it, it feeds off of the energy that you put into your body and it can get hurt like anything else and it needs to heal. That's hard. It's, it's and as a, as a, go ahead. yeah. But also as a friend looking at it from like an outside perspective, it's also hard to, if you're seeing someone that you love go through what you're, what you just described and they're like, just, I need to keep pushing. I need to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And it's not until something bad happens where they realize, okay, now I should go see a doctor. Now I should go get help. Now I should. That's a really hard thing to watch. What do you think? It's hard when you have a friend that um, is really suffering and they're having a hard time. 
and they're not reaching out for help. And you can see that they're um, kind of spinning their wheels and they kind of end up in the same spot over and over. I guess if, you know, when I think about depression, for example, depression has this weird part of it where it's self-confirming. And what I mean is like, you kind of get stuck on a skip track. Back in the day, like our parents used to listen on to music on something called records. And hipster millennials will sometimes collect these old artifacts. And they're these large our discs. Our listeners aren't this young. <laughs> I don't know, maybe <laughs> a couple of records. Uh, your listeners are pretty young. Mine, mine, mine probably listen are listening to this on a record right now. Um, I <laughs> so when there's a wrinkle or a, or a scratch in the track, the needle that's dragging along this record would skip. It's a skip track, and it, and it would just say the th- same thing over and over and over again. This would actually happen on CDs sometimes too. Remember CDs? Wow. Yeah, um, in my Walkman. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, here's the point. is uh, Depression will play the same line over and over and over. So it's not like you kind of spiral deeper and deeper into this big existential dread that's building this big, cohesive, large argument for why everything's terrible. It's almost you just kind of get stuck on a thought. Like, I'm a bad person. I'm. It's really hopeless. It's never going to change. Um. No one will ever love me. And then it's like you dwell on that thought over and over and over again. And that thought just keeps ringing through your ears. And then you'll start to go out into the world and you'll look at things and everything around you almost, it's like it confirms that thought. I can't get out of bed. And I'm like, yep, the, the anguish that I feel in my body, in my mind, that won't let me get out of bed, that's the reason why it's hopeless. That's the reason why I'm, no one's ever going to love me. Who would love someone who can't even get out of bed? Who can't even keep their room clean? Like I can't, I can't even like do my own dishes. Like how am I supposed to accomplish all these goals or things that I want to do with my life? And, and you kind of just hyper-focus in on all the negative that's around you and you hyper-focus in on all your weaknesses and everything that you wish that you could get yourself to do, but you can't. And it's very easy to spiral down into like really, really depressive places. It's, it can be awful. But when someone's caught in this skip track, when someone's caught in this depressive spiral, it's really not helpful to go up to them and then try to shake them out of it by saying, hey, look at all these positive things. Look at, uh, look at everything you are doing. Like, look at um, you know, everything that you're saying is so awful. Hey, actually, it's not all that bad. Because they kind of feel disconfirmed by that, meaning they, uh, they feel like you're just making light of it, like you don't really see them, like you don't. Like, yeah, they'll just kind of shrug you off. Like, oh, they don't really get what I'm feeling. They'll feel unheard. They might feel shamed. Yeah, it's almost like you're jumping in and being like, you feel this way, but you should feel this way. I'm I'm better. Yeah, and then they don't feel that way. And then they feel like crap for not being able to get to your seemingly good and fine attitude. Yeah. When the reality, the thing that helps depression more than anything is just the presence of someone that you love just being there with you and it's almost just kind of like um it's not that you jump into the low place with them it's not that you're trying to match their energy it's something like hey uh, I I kind of want to make s'mores and that's kind of a weird thing to do by yourself and I was wondering if I could come over and make s'mores at your place and I can bring this stuff I can I can do everything um do you mind do you mind if I we can we can use your fireplace or we can use your stove 
And all the other person has to do is be like, uh, yeah, sure. Or, hey, I want to um, go on a walk with my dog. I'm, I'm actually swinging by your place. Do you want to join? It's like inviting them into your world a little bit, not as a top-down, like, hey, you really need to get your act together or you need to stop focusing on all the negative, like you're just come back up here and join me. It's more just like, let me welcome you into my world with a hug and it's on your terms. You can join, you cannot. And it's more just like getting into a different atmosphere can actually start to pull the needle back onto the record and then the song starts playing again. And before you know yeah. it, you're eating s'mores with your friend and things feel just a little bit better. It's not like it all goes away, but it mm-hmm. feels better. I read this article a while back and so I won't like quote a word for word, but it was about a dark subject, um, about somebody that was going to do something that was very bad. Mm. And before they did that, somebody came up to them and asked them to just like come over and play video games. Mm. And that completely just flipped the switch. Yeah. And the whole point, the whole, the whole, the thing that stood out to me in this article was treat people like it's a Tuesday. Mm. Like it's, it's not a big thing going on on the weekend. It's not, I'm having this party. You should come. It's, can I come over and like want to play video games? Yeah. Right. It's just like a, a small little thing of just jumping into somebody's just, yeah. Not jumping into like the depressive, okay, we got to sit here and both be really sad no it's Mm -mm. you gotta just jump into this world and just like live just coexist yeah sometimes it's just all all you you need yeah sometimes it's actually asking a favor ironically which seems like the wrong thing to do and you don't want to make it too much of a hassle but like essentially helping someone feel like you're really bringing value into their life if if the depression has a lot to do with loneliness and them being kind of worthless um, when I have friends that are feeling that way, sometimes I'll go over and be like, Hey, I could really use your help. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm making a pot pie and I'm trying different recipes and I need someone to taste test it and tell me what they think. And then you make them a pot pie and then they taste it and you're like, okay, like, should I make it more salty, less salt? What does it need? Oh, thank you so much. I needed help. I, I've, I've had so many of them now. I can't even tell. Thank you for your help. Something like that. What it does is it, is it helps shift them out like, it, your life isn't just this dark corner of your bedroom where no one cares. There's someone in your world that actually needs your opinion and needs your taste. And they really valued it. And you made their day brighter. And by getting to see that happen with your eyes, your day gets a little brighter. And that is so much more powerful than someone just looking at you and being like, hey, dude, stop stop being down on yourself. You're, you're great. Lots of people feel happy that you're around. You know what I mean? It's like... Sometimes we have to experience yeah. the truth, not just hear it. And we do that in friendship when people care about us. I have a friend that's been going through it recently and it's been hard to find his way of connection. Um, do tell. Cause not, not everything necessarily works. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that, that I've done recently is I, I had a call with my therapist and I spoke about, I spoke about him. And she, he's been having a hard time just finding love, just dating. And, you know, it's with dating apps nowadays, like it must be such a, just I feel like it's a difficult, lonely spot. Mm. And she recommended this book, How to Not Die Alone. And apparently it's just like an amazing book. Mm. And I haven't heard of it. So, oh, like, 
a lot of people have read this. A lot of people have listened to it and apparently it's, it's, it's amazing. And so I messaged my friend and I was like, Hey, I had a call with my therapist and like this book came up and I thought of you, I thought it would be a great read. I would love to know your thoughts on it. Mm. And he read that book. Oh, cool. And he, at every single point that he kind of, that, that sat well with him, he would message me. Mm. And it was just, it was just a little thing. For for Christmas this year, I usually don't get my friends gifts. I saw something. He he's trying to learn to draw. I saw, you know, a, a little notebook and some sketching pencils, mm. and I just got it for him. Sweet. And I was like, in my card, I was like, don't. This is nothing. Mm. Just thought it, saw it, thought of you. And that's it. Mm. And the way, like his his eyes smiled, yeah. which was, which was everything. I was like, I don't I don't need a hug from you. I don't need a mm. I don't need a gift back. I don't need a thank you card. This is it. Just making sure my my buddy's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You you knew That's something it. intuitively, even if you didn't know how to explain it like that, which is people need to experience it, not just hear it. Yeah. And what you believed about your friend was that he actually is creative and a great guy that deserves to be loved and is gonna find relationship one day. It's it's a it's a it can be a long process for some folks, a fast process for others. There's no guarantee of what timeline something like finding love actually sits in. But you showed up in his life and treated him as if he was all the positive things you believe him to be. And I think that actually is our job as friends when we have someone in our life who's depressed or going through a hard time is we show up in that way. We act as if they are all the good things that we know them to be. And uh, just a little nudge, something thoughtful. Again, not trying to be tricky or, I don't know, like, I'm going to devise a plan to bake cookies and get him out of his depression. It's nothing like that. It's just an invitation. That's all this is. You can't make anyone feel better. You can't make anyone pull out of something hard that they're going through. But you can always extend an invitation. Yeah, one of the things that I'm working on with just like giving advice to either my partner or my friends is short and sweet Mm -hmm. because I find I'm like, I'm really interested in these topics and and I'm, I'm interested in struggle, which is, yeah, sure. (laughs) I'm sure you can relate to that. You and I both. Um, (laughs) And I find I kind of get like, I get lost Mm -hmm. in, in this kind of like advice giving moment of like, okay, well, what if you try this? What if you try that? And I kind of get lost in that. And I find I can notice myself kind of like I'm seeing myself in a third person. I'm like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Mm. Like they have blocked you out. I see them blocking you out. You had that, let's say that five minutes, that sweet five minutes. And now you're going in way too deep. Mm. You're getting into lecture mode Mm -hmm. and it's off. Now they feel less than that. You're smarter, that they need to learn something from you. You're great. Blah, 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 blah. And so I've noticed that a lot recently that just short and sweet is good too. I do that all the time. In moderation. Yeah. I often find that people will respond to other people's depression or pain in the way that they respond to their own. And Mm -hmm. so if people typically kind of just try to shove it down, not think about it, talk themselves out of it, they'll try to talk their friends out of it. Give all the reasons why it should just all go away and it's fine. If uh, if people are kind of, I don't know, angry and frustrated and uncomfortable with their own pain, then when you show up and you mention that you're in pain, they're going to get awkward and weird and kind of, I don't know, slink back. 
maybe even get a little bit irritated with you. That's normal. Then every once in a while, there's those occasional friends who can just sit in it with you and not um, glide into it with you, like we say, not get all like in a big depressed mood or something, but just be a warm presence, like a pillow um, in a hard moment. And I like to think that that comes from someone's character, that someone can actually show up for themselves that way and then they know how to show up for others that way. Or maybe it's a blend of both. Maybe they're learning how to show up for themselves that way. And so sometimes it's easier to practice those skills and try that out with someone that we really love as we're learning how to do that for ourselves. Yeah. Short and sweet. That's a pillow move. <laughs> we both have ADHD. Look at where we are in this conversation. Did we start talking about depression? What were we talking about? 